and we're in the third week of Advent, but we've been looking at what Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, highlights for us in her Magnificat, her, her song here in Luke 1, uh, specifically about uh, who God is and how the incarnation of the Son of God, so God becoming flesh, shows us these different attributes about God. So, so far we've learned in this series that God is a God who is deserving of praise. Last week we learned that God is a God who is always just, who is fully just. Justice is who he is. And then today we learned that he's also a God who is full of mercy, that he is a merciful God. And I want us to look at this mercy by asking three questions of the text this morning. One, what is mercy? What is it? Two, who is this mercy for? And then three, how do we live in light of it? So what is it? Who is it for? And then how does it change us? How, how, how does it change how we live our life together and as believers? So this first question, what is mercy? Well, mercy, if you were to, I think if you were to uh, kind of ask people out in the world, I think it, we would have a hard time defining what mercy is because within our world and within our culture, we don't really like to apply mercy to other people's lives. Instead, we like to cancel people. Just, just get rid of them. Instead of showing mercy to them, let's just cancel them and get rid of them altogether. Now, when it comes to justice, however, we want, we want justice to be had towards others. We want even, we would say, God to invoke his justice upon people, especially people who have done us wrong. We want justice. But mercy, absolutely not. Except when it comes to you. Except when it's, it's personal. Then you are the one who is crying out for mercy. I like to come back to this illustration of the thief on the cross uh, who is right next to Jesus. He is a self-admitted wrongdoer. He is getting what he deserves, and he knows it. And he says to his, his fellow cross-dweller who is deriding Jesus along with everybody else, in Luke chapter 23, verses 40 through 41, he says these words to him. Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, we, we, are, we are supposed to be on this cross. For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And yet this man on the cross, knowing he fully deserves this, this justice that is being invoked upon him, for his crimes, still cries out for mercy. Why? Because he believes that God will show him mercy. He knows that it's the only thing that will save him in this predicament that he's in. He has nothing else to rely upon but God's mercy. Because what God's mercy is, is it's, it's God's goodness to those in misery and distress. That's what it is. And mercy, like justice, is who God is. Time and time again, the, the Bible refers to this mercy of God. So 
in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And then King David in Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then elsewhere in the Bible, uh, you have this contrast uh, that is taken between God's mercy and the attitudes of, of humanity the attitudes of you and I. So uh, in the scriptures, it talks about that, that God's mercy is great. And we can say very quickly that our mercy towards others is not great. God's mercy is without end. It never stops. There is never a, 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 a boundary line that, that is put up where God says, I can't cross that boundary line with my mercy. But you know what? You and I do have those. There comes a point to where our mercy, we would say, runs out for people. God's mercy is tender, like that of a father, Psalm 103, verse 13 says. Our mercy is not tender. God's mercy is shown to thousands. We have a hard time showing mercy to one person. And in the New Testament the Father of mercies, has revealed his mercy in Christ. The theologian Louis Burkhoff wrote, if the grace of God contemplates man as guilty before God and therefore in need of forgiveness, the mercy of God contemplates him as one who is bearing the consequence of sin, who is in a pitiable condition, and who therefore needs divine help. So instead of using this overly simplistic definition of mercy, I'm sure that you've heard before, is mercy is not getting what you do deserve, uh, which, is, which is true, I would rather us look at, 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 at it in a different, at a different angle. You, you should use mercy to, to see yourself in such a condition because of sin, because of this sinful host that we just uh, sang about, that there is no way of escape from your misery and depravity. Because of sin, there is absolutely no way of escape for you from your misery and depravity. There is no way that you can claw yourself out of the hole of sin. There's no way that you, uh, that you, can, you can climb out of what sin is doing to you and in you. There's no way you can do that on your own. And some of you know that right now, as we speak, you feel helpless and hopeless and because your sin is crushing you. So you're helpless and hopeless unless, unless someone else moves on your behalf. And that someone isn't your spouse. That someone isn't your friend. That someone isn't your family member, that someone isn't me, that someone isn't some, someone who is special or has a lot of power, that, that, humanly speaking, that someone is the God of the universe. 
So unless the God of the universe moves on your behalf, you are still you will still be trapped under the crushing weight of your sin. The Puritan uh, theologian Thomas Watson wrote, he said, mercy is an innate propensity in God to do good to distressed sin- sinners. Mercy proceeds primarily and originally from God. And he quotes again, 2 Corinthians 1.3, he is called the father of mercies. We could say that, that mercy is birthed out of who God is. And that is where it comes from. And this is what is happening. Because your sin is so great, your depravity is so overwhelming, you deserve punishment. You deserve it. We deserve it. I deserve it. We all deserve punishment because of our sin. And at the very same time, you have to understand this, this punishment that we receive would be just. We would have to say like the thief on the cross, we deserve to be here. We put ourselves here. It would be just and it would be right. Because there is no conceivable reason, not even one, you cannot even dream one up, why God should have mercy upon you in and of yourself. There's no reason that is in and of yourself that God is being drawn to you or attracted to you. There's no reason. There is nothing that you do that is making uh, kind of God go, oh, uh, what, what, is, what did so-and-so do down, do down there? I, I didn't recognize him before this particular moment when he did that particular good deed or gave that much money to that person. There's nothing in you that, that God is, is looking at and saying, I am going to move towards that person. Paul describes our our sinful condition in this way. In Romans chapter 3, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, Then he goes on to describe it even more. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that's not describing someone over here. Paul is describing what's going on in our own sinful hearts. And before Christ, if you're a Christian, before Christ, this is, this is, who, you, this is who you are. This, 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 these verses embody who you are before Christ. So while there is no conceivable reason that you and I should receive God's mercy... Grace invents a reason, and that reason is the cross of Christ. So that, so, that, so that mercy can be shown and justice satisfi- satisfied at the very same time. That's where it happens. It happens on the cross. So, uh, Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the, the great English preacher. He said, but when there is a sacrifice... 
God looks on sin with eyes of mercy. And though justice says strike, God says, no, I have struck. I have struck my own son. I have struck him and will spare the sinner. The reason that you are not on the cross with the other two thieves, which is where we belong, is because Jesus is on your cross for you. God struck Jesus. He's not going to strike you. That is mercy. And, and, and I can say this uh, without question. This is both a, a terrifying reality and a beautiful reality at the exact same time. So it's terrifying in the fact that, that apart from God's mercy, nothing that you have done or would do could replicate the reason grace gives so that mercy could be shown to you. There's no way that you could get to, get to that level of mercy in, in, on your own. There's no way that you could do it. You can never rec- replicate what God has done for us in Jesus. It's impossible. So it's terrifying for that reason, but it's also beautiful for that exact same reason. It means it's not up to us. I, I don't have to, to, to try to earn my way uh, into God's favor. It's already been earned through Christ. And that is the incarnation of Christ. God's mercy toward us is born. This is why Mary sings, because in the incarnation, he reveals himself as a merciful God. In Emmanuel, God with us is mercy. A God who loves those who are in misery and is ever ready to relieve them of their distress. And so we see this in in Jesus' own life. When he is walking this earth, Matthew records for us in chapter 9 of his gospel, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and all the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this leads us to our second question, which is, who is God's mercy mercy for? Now that we kind of understand what mercy is, who is it for? And so before I get to the answer that Mary provides for us specifically in our passage, we we have to recognize that the mere fact that that you and I are here in this room and and we are breathing air and uh, our hearts are pumping blood through our veins, whether you are a Christian or not, you are receiving God's special mercy that is given to all humanity and to all of his creation. Again, Thomas Watson said, every time we draw our breath, we suck in mercy. Matthew 5, 45, Jesus says these words. He highlights this reality. 
For he, for he makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good. Meaning he's not just kind of, all right, where, where are the good people at? Where are the righteous? I'm just going to give them the warmth of the sunshine. Uh, I mean, I'm going to do them right. Uh, he, it, he goes on to say, and sins reign on the just and on the unjust. He, he's, what he's telling us there is that God is merciful at some level to everyone. And if you are if you are if you are someone who is who is not yet believing in the gospel, and you're hearing these words right now, God and you're alive. I mean, you have to be alive because you're hearing these words. God is showing you mercy right now. He is giving you time to repent and to believe the gospel. So Matthew nine. 35 through 36 reminds us that because Jesus saw these crowds uh, as those like sheep without a shepherd uh, and he had compassion on them, uh, he went about teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease. So what Jesus is seeing there is he is seeing their need of mercy. And because he sees their need of mercy, he sees that they are, they are spiritually deprived, they are physically deprived in every way, he moves towards them in compassion. And the way that he does this, the way that he demonstrates his tender mercy to these people like sheep without a shepherd is through the preaching of the gospel, one, first and foremost, but also through the physical healing of their bodies. And this is still happening even as we speak. God's tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm 145 verse 9 tells us. And even upon those who don't fear him or even acknowledge him, share in his mercies. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23, God asks this question. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And then answering his own question in verse 32, because I think a lot of times that is how we think about God. We think that God is just takes pleasure in just wiping people out. And God is asking the question, I, as if to say, I don't take pleasure in this at all. He even answers it in this way in verse 32 of Ezekiel 18. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. So God does extend his mercy in a very general sense and in special way to all of his creation. But he especially extends his sovereign mercy to all heirs of salvation. Mary tells us in verse 50 of Luke 1, his mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy is for those who fear him because it's those who fear him who recognize their own misery and distress. They're starting to kind of wrap their mind around uh, the depravity of their own heart, the sinfulness of their own condition, the, the, the helplessness that they have uh, apart from Christ, that they cannot save themselves. And so they know this fear. 
They know that those who know that they must day by day, moment by moment, look to the grace and mercy of God in Christ for their nourishment, for their salvation every day. C.S. Lewis wrote, he says, the essential act of mercy was to pardon, and pardon in its very essence involves recognition of guilt and an undeserved mindset in the recipient. So, so basically, if you think you deserve mercy, you don't understand mercy. If you think you deserve mercy, you don't understand mercy. So let's say you, you, you die this evening. You die on the way home in this you know, rain, run off the road. And you stand before God, and he asks ask you the question, this great evangelistic question, um, why should I let you into my heaven? Why should I let you into my heaven? If he was just quizzing you. And if your answer is anything but an appeal to the grace and mercy of God in Christ, you don't just misunderstand mercy. You misunderstand the gospel altogether. I heard in a song this week, country song this week, um, and we're, Malachi and I were driving down the road listening to the, this, and I, we, I brought it up and ruined the entire song for him. Um, but he says, when I, get to those, when I get to those pearly gates or those shiny gates, speaking about heaven, I, he says, I, I hope that I've done the best that I can do. And I had to pause the song and say, look, that is, that is bad theology. That's horrible theology. But thousands and thousands of people will listen to this bad theology and, and believe that that is what will happen when they get to these pearly gates that we like to talk about. That for some reason they can depend on themselves and just hope that they've done everything right. And I'm here to tell you, you haven't. You never will. And if you're getting into heaven, if you're, if you're getting to, to the Lord and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you bank on, well, I'm hoping that I've done it. I've done pretty good. It's not a good place to be. Romans 9, verses 15 and 16. Paul is talking, going back to the Old Testament, Paul says, for he says to Moses, uh, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not, and thank God for these three words in the Bible. So then it depends not on human will or exertion. So calm down, relax, and stop trying to win your salvation on your own to win peace with God on your own, to win a right standing with God on your own. This is what, it does not come down to your human will or your exertion, but on God who has mercy. So the key to fear is not ourselves. The key to fearing God is coming to an understanding that, that Christ went without mercy so that we could receive God's mercy. 
This is why the Proverbs say, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7. Because fearing the Lord enables you to see reality as it is meant to be seen. Our, our, our vision right now on this earth, even as believers, is, is kind of foggy. We still have things thrown into our face every single day. We are, we're battling idols day in and day out. We're battling the lies of this world uh, that, are, that are thrown at us at, at every single angle. But, but fearing the Lord begins to give you some clarity on what true reality is. So we, we are not to be fooled by social media posts and the culture's attempts to, to blind us from what is real and true and beautiful. We are, we, we are able to see the brokenness of our own heart. We're able to see the brokenness of our own world, but we're also able to see the redemption that is offered by God in Christ. So the fear of God reveals to us a, a, a merciful God who is Lord over all of life. Not just life in this room on a Sunday or in church buildings around the world, but all of life. He is a God who is eager to show his people mercy. He is a God who is eager to give you life. In verses 54 and 55 of of Luke 1, Mary also lets us know that not only is God merciful and he is is for those who who fear him, but but he's also bound to this fact of showing you mercy. Meaning that that God cannot take this mercy back from you. He He is bound to you to be merciful toward you. And this happens through the covenant that he established with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and 17. If you were with us in our Genesis uh, study over the past three years, you would know that, that this covenant ran throughout and continues on to this day, that we still are a covenant people because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So, so the covenant is not only established for Abraham and for the Old Testament people, but it's also established for his offspring. And if you are a believer in Christ, you are his offspring. And so this promise is for you as well. And this is how Paul interprets it in Galatians chapter 3. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And because you and I have received mercy as believers in Christ, uh, God has bound us, bound himself to us in this way via his, his covenant. We too, because of all of this, we too are now to show mercy to others. Which is the third question we are asking this morning. Which is, how do we live in light of God's mercy in Christ? How do we, how do we now live since we've been shown mercy? What do we do? What does that look like? Two ways. First, and we've already been talking about this, first, you must understand God's mercy toward you. 
And this isn't just something you, when you become a Christian and you kind of like say, okay, well, I'm a Christian now. Uh, I, I understand what God has done. He has, he has saved me from my sins, and now, but now it's up to me. So it never gets to that point. Like I, I can preach all day about we, we can't earn our salvation. We can't earn a, a right relationship with God. We can't do that. But we also can't earn that even after we are saved by God in Christ. We are continually dependent upon him. So, so because of that, we have to constantly remind ourselves of what the gospel has done. We have to constantly remind ourselves of God's mercy toward us. So, so we have, we, we, which we have established somewhat but uh, throughout this, this whole entire time, but mercy is for those who, who recognize their own brokenness still. That's why we have a, a prayer of repentance every single Sunday. Because we, we need to repent of our sins. We need to, to turn our hearts away from ourselves and turn them back to God and ask for his forgiveness. And people who recognize that the, that the incarnation is, is for those who are weary and in need. So Psalm 25, that was read earlier for us, David writes, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. So from the very beginning, God has been merciful. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So what David is saying is a very honest prayer. And I, I, I love this about, about David, who, who knew his own sinful condition. He knew that he had, he, had, he had done wrong in his life. And yet God has still turned to him in his mercy and loved him. And even now can say that David was a man after my own heart. So David is saying in Psalm 25, he wants God to remember his mercy towards him and not to remember his sins. Did you catch that? David is saying, God, remember the mercy that you showed to me and, and please just kind of forget about all of my corruption. That's what David's praying here. Because David knows if God remembers his sin, if God is, is truly just toward David and his sin, David is doomed. And so are you. And so am I. If God just remembers our sins and he is just towards our sins, we are doomed. But he also knows if he remembers his mercy, he is safe and secure. And that is our posture. That, that, is, that is our prayer. Why? Because it's God's mercy that, that meets us in the day-to-day. So, so when you are in trouble, whatever that looks like, when, when, when you are lonely, when you are in distress, when you are experiencing affliction and suffering, when you are experiencing hatred from others, or you are experiencing uh, injustice from others towards, towards yourself, remember, God's mercy meets you. It's who we are as the body of Christ. First Peter chapter 2, 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And with that said, we can begin to understand the second way we we live in light of God's mercy, and that is by showing his mercy to others. Because mercy uh, comes from a culture that is created by faith in the one who has shown mercy to us. Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller wrote a, wrote a great book called Ministries of Mercy. And um, if, you've, if you've ever wrestled with how do I minister to the poor or uh, had those types of questions, it's a great book for that. But he, he reminds us of this. He says, mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a test of true faith. Mercy is not optional or in addition to being a Christian. Rather, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the inevitable sign of true faith. So what what Keller is saying there is is if you have experienced the, the mercy of God in Christ, then mercy should radiate out of you. And, and even, even so, as it does it, that should be a sign pointing to uh, what God has done for you in Christ, how God has shown you mercy. So there's, there's this kind of constant cycle of pointing back to what God has done for you, pointing back to what God has done for you because of what you are doing, because of what God has done for you in Christ. So Jesus gives the, gives the perfect example in the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, in Luke chapter 10 when the, when the lawyer comes to Jesus to, to trap him in his words uh, by asking the question, who is my neighbor? Which is kind of this, he was expecting like, oh, he won't even be able to answer this. Like, it's so broad. Uh, there's, I got him. I'm going to pin him down. There's no way he can answer this. He's going to look like an idiot um, in his words. But Jesus replies with a story, with a parable. And we all know the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and, and it ends up, instead of kind of narrowing the view of who is my neighbor, it ends up actually expanding the understanding of neighbor to anyone in need. Anyone. And so Luke chapter 10, 36 37, Jesus ends his parable in this way. He said, which of these three, these three men who passed by uh, the man who was on the side of the road, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell upon the robbers? So Jesus has now twisted this whole question around to this lawyer. Which of these men who fell upon the robbers? And the lawyer said, there's no other answer he can give. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And then, even just thinking about that parable, but also remembering Jesus' words from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That cycle of mercy that I was talking about earlier. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So in closing, I want to leave you with, with a couple of exercises to do this week. Um, one, the first thing I want from, from you, and you don't have to report back to me or anything like that, but, um, but I, I want you to meditate. Meditate. Think, think over 
uh, how you personally have been shown God's mercy. I mean, first and foremost, that, 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 is, that is, you know, you're, if you're a Christian, you should be able to go, well, he saved me. <laughs> that, that is, that is the, the first thing that should come to mind. And so that's something to even just meditate upon and how God has shown you his mercy in Christ. And I want you to, to write these things down. And I want, you to, I want you to share it with somebody in your life, somebody, your spouse or a friend. Maybe it's your city group. If you're meeting this week, you can, you can talk about how God has shown you that, how you have meditated on that this week, and, and how that has kind of you know, cha- you know, changed your heart a little bit more this, this season. And then I just want you to give God praise for that. To give God, God, give, give God praise for, for what he has done for you, how he has moved towards you in mercy. So that's step one. Step two is ask this question, who is my neighbor? It's a harder question than you think to answer. Who is my neighbor? And then once you kind of come up with that, well, let me just tell you this. Start with the people inside your house first. That's a good place to start, pretty easy. Those are your neighbors, the way Jesus expanded it. Those are your neighbors. Do good towards them. Show them mercy. And then start to expand out to your church family. Start to expand out to your, to your neighbors and your neighborhood and the people that you work with and, and, and go from there. And then ask. See, figure out who your neighbor is. And then ask, what is their need and how do I meet it? What is their need and how do I meet it? So I say that because sometimes the response to how you meet their need is prayer. But, but mercy is a very tangible and physical undertaking as well. Jesus preached the gospel and laid hands and healed people. He didn't just pray for them. So sometimes in your prayers, sometimes you are the answer to the prayers that you are praying if you're praying for God to provide some, uh, something for someone and you're just praying for that, you might be the answer to that prayer. Have you ever thought about that? So who is my neighbor? What is their need and how do I meet it? Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, two Christian counselors, um, have a book called Relationships, a, a Mess Worth Making. It's a great little book. But they say this, about mercy and mercy towards each other. So it's an extended quote, so hang on. But they say this. They said, the Bible's teaching on mercy is clear. Until God's kingdom comes and everything broken is restored, there will continue to be suffering. As long as God chooses uh, to give sinners one more opportunity to repent, the distress of living in a fallen world will continue. That is why mercy is an essential ingredient of any godly relationship. Mercy is what we have received and what we are called to give. Mercy is my commitment to live alongside you in this broken world, even though I will suffer with you, for you, and because of you. I will do everything I can to relieve your distress. Mercy means you expect suffering in your relationships and are willing to endure it. Mercy means you are willing to live with the poor. Mercy means you resist the temptation to favoritism. Mercy means you are committed to persevere in hardship. Mercy rejects a personal happiness agenda. 
Mercy means you live with a commitment to forgive. Mercy means you overlook minor offenses. And mercy does not compromise what is morally right and true. A commitment to mercy will reveal the treasures of your heart. And when we begin to live in this way, the world will bear witness not to your goodness, not to our goodness, but to God's tender mercy that is only to be found in Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, God of all mercy, we give you thanks and praise for how you have shown us mercy um, from ages past up until this very moment in time and in the future. You are, you are not going to pull back your mercy from us. And so we give you praise for that. And I pray, even as you show mercy, I pray for my friends who do not yet know you and are wrestling to believe that they would understand your mercy towards them in this particular way. That the reason they live is because of your mercy towards them. And so I pray that they would come to believe today. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would understand again and again and again the mercy that you have shown for them uh, in Christ. That the reason we are not on the cross is because Jesus took our place. And so I pray that out of that mercy that we would move towards our neighbor with that particular mercy as well. Reminding them not of ourselves but of your goodness to us in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.